listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 67, covering Elementary Dear Data and the Outrageous Okana with Brian Lynch. Hello, friends. We're back, and we're back with the, I would say, one of the most quintessential lineups that we would have, which is yep. when we have a really bad episode and a really good episode sort of together. Yep. Uh, and to help us, oh, because he, <laughs> you particularly requested this one, Brian. Our, our pal Brian Lynch is back. Uh, Superior Lynch. Yes, to do the... Are we still calling him that? Yeah, sure, why not? I, it's been a while, but I'm not going to complain. Uh, very yeah. well. It's it's certainly not, uh, not as offensive as, uh, well... As some of the Irish things that are coming up, but that's later. That's, that's not now. I'm looking forward to hearing that. We've been fixating on that a lot lately. I guess, you know, St. Patrick's Day is coming soon, and you and your brother are of Irish extraction. It is so convenient how that worked out. Isn't that going to, mm-hmm. like, I guess that episode's going to be coming up right around St. Patrick's Day, huh? It may. That's not by design, but we do have Irish no. Gav on hand to help us. We're not that clever. No. <laughs> not by half. Um, well, especially because you, you used to do the uh, the, the three-episode ones, so this wouldn't even be, like, something you could have planned out way back. No, not yeah. really. Now we're just doing two, you know, like, two every week, yeah. so. Which is good, because I don't have to do any summers this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, first, lucky you. Yeah, lucky me. Well, I mean, it all works out. Next well, time. Well, my mind was fine. Yeah, next time we have a and next time we have a guest on, I'll do it, and Matt gets a week off. So it all works out. And that was that one time he was dead. Yeah. So it definitely all balanced Oh, yeah, out. yeah. Uh, I did, however, still provide my summary. I think you'll remember. Oh, that's true. You did. From Beyond the Grave. Uh, the important that's thing is we could end the show. Without you here to say, see you, folks, the yeah. show just keeps going and going. And fortunately, you, you would pre record that. Couldn't you for just us. use an old recording of him saying it? Nope. No, that would be wrong. That would be str- the, oh. the, the computer would know, is the thing. <laughs> say goodnight, Matt. <laughs> well, uh, let, let's, let's focus on the we'll good one there. first, won't we? Uh, Very Brian, well. tell us about Elementary Dear Data. Elementary Dear Data. We begin with Jordy and Data building a model of a boat, because Jordy is a nerd and nerds like models. Nerds also like LARPing, so it's off to the hollow suites for a Sherlock Holmes adventure, because nerds like Victorian literature. What nerds don't like is spoilers, so when Data solves the crime without doing any of the actual investigation parts, Jordy gets huffy and leaves. In 10 Forward, they have a lover's spat, and Dr. Pulaski tells Jordy that Data can't laugh, or love, or have fun, or exist in any meaningful way, because he's nothing but a filthy, filthy robot, and he never will be. Stop dreaming! <clears throat> so they return to the Hollow Suite to see if it can recreate a Sherlock Holmes-style mystery to confound them, and Pulaski comes along, because nobody has anything better to do. Uh, this also sucks, so they decide to program the computer to create, and I quote, an adversary capable of defeating Data. This was a very good idea. So it does that by imbuing Professor Moriarty with self-awareness, because that's easy, and the ability to program the Hollow Suite, because that's smart. Somebody turned the stupidity controls off, I say. The newly self-aware Moriarty kidnaps the Doctor and proves he knows he's on the Enterprise by drawing a picture of it, and considers programming himself a mustache to twirl. <laughs> In the conference room, everybody talks about what they're going to do, and Picard decides to go talk to Moriarty. Data goes to change into his uniform, but Picard decides instead to change into Victorian gear, because he's Patrick Stewart, and of course he does. When they arrive, Moriarty has built a lever, which has the dual function of shaking the ship around and giving the rest of the cast something to do by reacting to that. In the end, Picard uses the standard Starfleet Captain procedure and talks the computer into shutting down, only instead of exploding, he just agrees to shut down and live inside a computer where he'll be no photon at all. Oh. And we will never see him again. Nope. Never, never yeah, again. He'll never come back, and he'll just be shut down, and they... Well, they do They do promise to bring him out when they uh, figure out how to let holograms live outside the holodeck. Which, which is never. Seems like which, they, which they sure are working idea. hard on for the rest of the series. Oh, well, Voyager figured out how to do it. They have teams and teams of people devoted to that. Uh, I, I have one point... The Voyager of... didn't figure out how to do it. They had the, somebody from the future show them how. Oh, shit, that's right! Yeah. Can we can we please not Voyager, please? Can we ever? not Voyager at all? Yeah, ever. <laughs> Cuz oh god. No, I've been I've been keeping up with the uh, Irish Gav's um uh, blog which we've plugged on the show before and we'll certainly mm. do oh, again. Oh, it's delightful, yes. Uh yes. and I am reminded that the later seasons of Voyager focused largely on a group of Borg children. 
Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about them. Who, who, who like Seven of Nine, were uh, assimilated and then de-assimilated, and they try to reintegrate them into the crew, and it's just yeah. awful. Hey, uh, we can do all the Seven of Nine plots we already did, only with kids. Yep. Yeah, exactly. that will make it more endearing, because people love kids in Star Trek. Yep, they're, they're always a hit. All right, anyway, let's... I, Brian, I have one quick point of contention with your summary. Uh, which yep. is your constant use of the word holosuite versus holodeck, which is just a painful oh, reminder yes. that we're watching Next Generation and not Deep Space um, Nine. I suppose I should tell the audience that what I've been doing for the past couple weeks is watching Deep Space Nine episodes and talking about them on Twitter purely to antagonize Alan Matt. It's working, um, jerk. And that's because I knew that I was going to have to watch the outrageous Okana, and I, I, I just I felt like lashing out, and I'm sorry. Yeah, but we have to watch The Outrageous Okana, and we can't watch DS9. Yeah. Haven't we suffered enough? But I wanted to hurt you more than I'm being hurt. You want to go on hurting us. (laughs) I want to go on. That's exactly it. Listen, I recently had to remember what it was like to watch Plato's Stepchildren in order to summarize it for our forthcoming episode guide. Mm -hmm. No one has hurt more than I. (laughs) Oh, well, anyway, we're on a good episode now, so... That that is and true. yes, they have hollow decks instead of hollow suites. I think the difference which is a term that doesn't make much sense because it's not an entire deck; it's a room. Well, okay, that that is a good point. But I I will actually the hollow suites are also rooms, not suites of rooms. So, well, I, but I think Matt points out correctly that the 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 distinction is that the hollow suites are something you pay for. The hollow deck is just a recreational area provided on a starship at no cost ah, to the that crew. That does make sense. And they are both hollow rooms. Right. Yes. And then later on, they have barbecues in the hollow patio. <laughs> right. Uh, so you got a good thing and a bad thing for us? Brian? Oh, yeah. Well, my my good thing was that this is the first, like, really solid episode using the Next Generation style. It um, absolutely Previously, was. we've had, like, a bunch of episodes that use original series style and a bunch of episodes that were developing the Next Generation style. Well, there's been a lot uh, of this, experimentation, this first... trying to go off in different directions, trying to figure out what the show is, and it does definitely feel like yeah. this is the first time where they figured that out, and this feels... This could they have been a out, season yeah, they... three or four episode. Mm-hmm. They used the new technology to its best advantage. Yep. It wasn't just like, the holodeck is a place where something dangerous can happen. Like The fact that it was holograms actually mattered to the plot. Yep. Yeah. Whereas the previous big holodeck malfunction episode was the fact that it stopped being holograms was what right. made it you get dangerous. Shot with hollow bullets, you know, and and, um, and the... then there's like the stuff with Pulaski and Data was really well done here. And mm-hmm. no, and the, uh, the, yep. the the whole idea of an artificial construction being self-aware is a staple of science fiction that I've always liked, and also a nice mirror of Data because he is an artificial construction yep. that is self-aware, but. You know, Moriarty seems to have emotions. Somehow, mm-hmm. he just got created yesterday, and he's already better than Data. I, I, I like the idea of Pulaski getting stuck with Moriarty, who's also, like, supposed to be not a real person. Mm-hmm. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like that that goes a long way to sort of her eventually accepting Data as a person. Hang on. Did you just yeah, say I like and Pulaski like... in the same sentence? Yeah, I still hate her as a character, but I appreciate what happened in the episode. All right. I'm not going back on my dis- like. I still don't like her. I do. I, I think fine. she's a delightful character. I, I think everyone does except Matt is the thing. Yeah, and I think he's starting to now. <laughs> nope. There's an arc. I think we're gonna have a really nice Matt story arc over this season. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> uh, okay, and, and you got a bad thing? Yeah. Well, my bad thing is I'm, I'm gonna, and I promise I'm not gonna keep doing this, but I have to get my nerd nitpicking hat on and wonder if the people who wrote this ever like knew anything about Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and, let, and let's back were... up a step real quick and and say mm-hmm. the reason you chose this is because you are very steeped in in the mythology of Sherlock Holmes. I I love the I love the Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, the, and the Matt does stories. as well. I love watching the different mm-hmm. movie interpretations of them. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, there, there's, you know, there's, he's been portrayed on film more than any other fictional character except Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's also so awesome. there's there's all sorts of different ways to do it, and it appears that what they did was they just watched some of the old Basil Rathbone movies, and that's it. Yeah, because he wore that hat, which he wore exactly once in the actual stories. Mm-hmm. Um, he he wore the hat and the the cape, which is the equivalent of it, those are hunting clothes. Yeah, this was, would be like somebody walking around New York woods. City wearing like a bright orange ski cap or a um, and camouflage <laughs> gear which people do but those people are insane <laughs> as opposed to sherlock holmes who is perfectly sensible yes. and sane right and he had that big uh loopy pipe 
Mm -hmm. um, which Sherlock never smoked in the the books. That was because the actor that played him on stage, uh, William Gillette, uh, didn't want his face to be obscured by the kind of pipe Sherlock Holmes actually smoked. Mm -hmm. So he got one of those low-hanging ones. Um, Half the people that say Moriarty's name pronounce it Moriarty, Mm -hmm. um, because that's a little easier, I guess. Uh, Data describes the address as 221 B Baker Street. As if it was like 221 North Baker Street or something. No, I get what you're saying, that, not... the, that the inflection is weird, but I think this is maybe the most nitpicky of nitpicks that I've ever heard. I know, well, because well, they make such a big deal over it. It's like, where are you going? 221 B Baker Street. <laughs> In that like, accent. And they say it just like that, and it's like obvious that it was like the it's the end of the uh, teaser, like the stinger mm. before the credits, mm-hmm. and it was like so focused on it's like no 221b like 221a is like the sandwich shop or <laughs> where mrs hudson lives or something the, and the horrible B, leprosy place yeah yes and then uh oh and uh dr pulaski talking about the reason sherlock holmes was so great was because he understood the depths of the human soul no he didn't that's no. like his whole thing is that he only understands stuff he doesn't know anything about the depths of the human soul that's why he has watson <laughs> Fair enough. To right, tell Matt. him why people do things. <laughs> Matt, what about you? I am just going to repeat everything Brian just said, because <laughs> I was also annoyed by... Uh... Well, first first your good thing. Okay. No, uh, all in all, I thought this was a fantastic episode. We got the uh, beginning of Data and Jordy's rela- or, uh, friendship, mm-hmm. their Troy and Abed in the morning thing. Yeah, and I, I maintain that that is one of your best observations so far, that, that uh, Data and Troy... Or, yeah, Data and, Data and Troy... Uh, <laughs> Data and Jordy equal uh, Abed and Troy. That is so yeah. on the nose. Uh, great relatable villain who stops being a villain about halfway through. Oh, yeah. He becomes a guy who wants to not die. And becomes sympathetic. Like, we all kind yeah. of feel bad for him. Like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah, why did you bring him into it? This is, you just created him for a game. That's kind of cruel. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I like, uh, it's a nice uh, nice demonstration of Picard's captaining. You know, he goes down there and talks to Moriarty. Kirk would have just punched him in the face. Yeah. No, I really mm-hmm. like um, when they're in the conference room talking about what's going on. Picard doesn't get angry. There's, there's two ways to write Picard. He's annoyed with everyone and hates everything, which th- some people are still writing him like that in season two even. Like, yep. kind of rolling his eyes. And, like, they read in the series Bible that he's stern, and that means he's angry at everyone. And that's not the same thing. And the other is no. that he's the explorer, and when something weird happens, he wants to check it out because he's curious and he thinks it's cool. And that's yeah, that's the approach they took here, and that's the Picard that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and your bad thing? Uh, how did Data take that piece of paper out of the holodeck? Oh, wait, no, that's really easily explained. Um, I actually had a hard time finding a bad thing in this one. I, I even liked Pulaski. Well, I, he said oh, it again. He did yep. twice now. Yeah, recorded. And that doesn't even count all the times that uh, that he thought she was hot before. Ugh. Oh, yeah. We can't stop pointing that out, Matt. You know that. I know. Okay. She was hot, what, three times on the old twice. series? Two? Twice. Twice. But, you know, she played two different characters, and that's, you know. Two times he's like, "Hey, who's that?" Oh, it <laughs> again. Say, you know, fool you once, shame on you. Fool you twice, it becomes a running bit. I did like. Um, there's a point in this episode where uh, where uh, Moriarty's going back into the computer, and he's talking. He's saying goodbye to Pulaski, and she's like, "When you come out, I'll be a ver- I could be a very old woman." And I write wrote in my notes, "Already an old woman." And then I read Al's notes. <laughs> And he said, already an old woman. Something Matt will say in his notes. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, old friend. I don't know what to tell you. You no, will I, hand I, me an envelope containing this joke. <laughs> we did just sit and, and literally simultaneously co-write an, an episode guide. We pretty much can anticipate each other's Star Trek jokes like before they're done, I think, at this point. Yep. So. Finish each other's sandwiches. Yes, Yep. exactly. Um, but I... I Regardless of what you think about Pulaski, and I, honestly, sincerely, you're not the only one who dislikes her. There are other people who dislike mm-hmm. her. This this story really couldn't happen without her. She has to be no, the catalyst at, at the beginning to to get the you know to get that challenge kicked off. Nobody else really could have done that. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. Riker wouldn't have done that. No. If Crusher like, was I guess still the, around, the, she the, the done next that. closest stick in the mud is Worf, but that's not the kind of thing that he would care about. No, exactly. You need someone who kind of wants to. I I, I no. still yeah, maintain no. that she like Bones is nudging him and trying to find the humanity that she doesn't hate him, that she's just trying to sort of tease it out of him. But that's, there's nothing really to support that. That's just me. I think she eventually gets to that. I don't think she was there in this episode. Cause like in that, 
conversation in 10 Forge, she doesn't even talk to Data. She just talks to Jordy about Data. That's true. But I, I also wonder if she's trying to provoke him doing that, too. Again, I'm. this is totally my read, and it's not really there. Mm-hmm. But it's the same way when she addressed, when she talked to Picard about him as fans. It. Like, yeah. can, it, can it do this? I almost wonder if she's doing that just to get a reaction, to see if a reaction can be gotten. Nah. But again, I, that's not really on the page. That's just my interpretation. Which is fine. I mean, we do those all those interpretations of everything. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. show. I think it adds yeah. depth to the character. I just, yeah. I so far, I really think she's a better character and a better Doctor character than Crusher was in the entirety of season one. Oh yeah, she's just not pretty. That's the she only even does thing. surgery later in the uh, season. Yeah. No, there's last some... time you saw Crusher do that. She just waves her fancy lights on things. <laughs> and, and she wore her medical hat. That's true. Don't forget that. You've Got to have a medical hat. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's procedure. All right, and for me, my good thing, this is so completely Star Trek in the best sense of the phrase and different from next or from the original series. This is what Brian was saying. This is Next Gen asserting its uniqueness for the first time and doing it well. Like, yeah. This mm-hmm. totally, like I said, could have been a season three or four episode. It doesn't feel like early Next Gen anymore. It feels like this is the show. Yeah. And particularly, as Matt said, the relationship between Jordy and Data is just, they. this is it. Like, this is, this is the pattern that this they'll follow for the rest starts. of the time. Yeah, they yeah. found it. And it's perfect. Those two are great, and you totally buy right. that they're friends, and you just you get it. And Jordy, Jordy's dating a robot, and that's fine. <laughs> I it, listen. You, I've never really thought of it that way before. You pointed that out with this, and if somebody revealed that that subtext is meant to be there, I'd be totally fine with it. <laughs> I got no problem I'd be with, fine that with it too. Now, see, I no, I mean, I, I, I'm as... doing it mostly as a joke, but like, well, you'll hear when I get to my quote is that it's it's there's. It's no, I know. really easy to read it in there. I know you were joking, and my knee-jerk reaction is no, but then I thought about it for a minute. I'm like, no, I'd be okay with that. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that, okay. that's fine, but I always saw this as Jordy is not, like, the way, or the way Jordy becomes, because he used to be, like, you know, more Well, he used to be the wisecracker. Like, he used to be the guy to make jokes guy. on the fridge, and now he's got a but job, and he's he got to be serious. Yeah, now who, who he is in season two is that he's not really good around people like everyone likes him but his i totally buy his best friend being a robot well yeah and that's that's really the subtext that i always picked up on was that he's Mm -hmm. just kind of a loser and no one else will be his friend (laughs) yes i think they found the voice for jordy's character in the first season where i can't remember what episode it was or i think i think it was like where no one has gone before Mm -hmm. where they were talking about like something they could do to the warp engines and he's like yeah and then we do this and then we do this and then it's like when he gets excited like things like like yippee or zowie or something stupid like that Yep. Wooey, that was it. Yep. That yeah. I think is when they were like, aha. We have a, now we we have know a who Jordy, Jordy is. is a nerd. We have a job that we need someone to be in, and we have a good actor who we've already esta- Yeah, that totally fits. Do that. Yeah. Wooey. But no, and, and the Woo-wee. thing that I love about their friendship more than anything else is everyone, like all the other human characters, try to sort of nudge data and like convince him what it's like to be, you know, Riker and Picard occasionally yeah. indulge him. Sure. Jordy's the only one that doesn't give up. He will just keep pushing at it and like, no, Data, you're not Mm -hmm. getting it. Try like this. And it's just like you you get the feeling he really wants to get through to it. Yeah. And that's probably why Data hangs out with him because he treats him differently. Yeah. Yeah. Like he gets that he's different and he gets what he's after and he wants to help him. Mm -hmm. It's not just not always asking Jordy to look at things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have gotten away from that finally. Yes. That is a plus. Which does raise the question, doesn't the holodeck mostly operate with light? I mean, hollow. Like, yeah. shouldn't Jordy see everything differently as, like, you know, patterns of light versus actual physical objects? I mean, I could almost see it as him, like, seeing it as patterns of light, but still being able to translate it sort of the way he, Maybe. you know. Yeah. But he has that. He looks at things he, and he has that translate. standard. He has that standard moment that everyone has. That, and it bothered Brian and it bothered Adrian and it bothers people more than it bothers mm-hmm. me. But when people mm-hmm. walk on the holodeck and say, wow, the holodeck. Like, I, yeah. I get the complaint it, that we need to be done with that, but it just doesn't bother me. It didn't bother me as much when Jordy did it, because his was, like, specific to the program. He's like, wow, look at all this detail. And it, you know, programmed in, like, you know, this little box here. Look at all, all this that. detail. We could be on a Paramount backlot. <laughs> <laughs> we could be in a leftover set from a failed TV pilot. <laughs> um, um, I'm pretty sure that's what half the holodeck sets were. Oh, probably. Yeah. 
Um, but but um, when Pulaski went on and we had to sit through another, so, oh, it's all holograms projected on the walls and it's all force like... perspective. And for some reason, people can pick you up and carry you half a mile away from See, us. I felt like that was you're... necessary expo- exposition to set some things up, but you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Then you sort of write yourself into the corner of if there is more than one group of people in different areas of the holodeck, you're really in a, you know, you can't trick that yeah. with, with uh uh, no, that's when, the com- that's when the computer starts making, like, holographic walls and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, getting you to turn down corners. So they're just right next to each other, but they can't tell because of, of imaging and stuff. That was always my assumption, yeah. Okay, fair enough. That's why I was really creeped out during that one Voyager episode where Janeway had sex with a hologram while Paris and Kim were also on the holodeck. Yeah. And I'm like... Okay, I get it. She's like upstairs in the inn or whatever. But, but really, she's um, next door to them. Yeah, physically, the room is only like them. ten by ten, and they're right next yeah. to each other. <laughs> I feel like the writers keep forgetting that. Yeah. Well, we'll get to this later in next gen as well as into the other series. But Brandon Braga just doesn't really care about science. He just wants to tell stories mm-hmm. about magic dream adventures and fucking ghosts. Yep. But, yeah, that's why I watched some season seven yesterday. Yeah. But we'll get to that in time. Uh, oh, and my bad thing. By the telltale presence of endless expository speeches explaining precisely how and why Holmes is so clever, I can deduce that this is the most boring setting ever. Yes, I am aware that I am the only one in the entire world who thinks this, but I do. There you go. I don't <laughs> it's like... A, it's okay. Don't, it's okay, it's Al. Okay. You're old and wrong. I don't like Sherlock Holmes. I don't like Victorian England. I think it's boring and filthy, and everyone suffered, and only rich people could have adventures, and everyone else was diseased and dead. I don't get people's fascination with Victorian England at all. Yeah, but the holodeck is like it's like a a you know an idealized time of that where you can ignore all the bad things that happened. Yeah, but what I'm complaining yeah. about is nerds and you two in particular, but also pretty much everyone else I know. Yeah, delight and fascination with that particular period as opposed to every other period in time. But what I'm telling you is what Cassidy told Cisco in that one episode of Deep Space Nine, which I watched the other day. Matt, could you hit him, please? Because uh, I'm a pacifist. Why would I hit him? I agree with him. No, you don't agree with him that <laughs> watching Deep Space Nine to rub it in our faces is a good idea. No, but I make, think he makes a valid point. No, I mean, it's like, you know, like it, when you, you said, like, because, you know, I've got friends that's who not will my, say, that's like, not you know, my actual I want to I want to go back and live in that time period. And I'm like, yeah, sure, you wouldn't be able to vote and you'd die in childbirth at the age of 14. <laughs> no, 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 that's not my actual argument. That's just, I just threw that in for comedic effect. My actual argument is this period isn't that interesting. No, I disagree. I disagree. This is where, like, uh, this is where science fiction started, man. Yep. Yeah, and then it got Jules better. Jules Verne, H.G. Wells. Uh, Steampunk didn't get is better. not that they interesting just... to me either. It's an interesting visual idea that has yet to tell a popular story. Uh, what about Legends, Wild starring Wild John Delancey and Richard Dean Henderson? <laughs> and Wiki Wild Wild West. Yes, fine. Yes. <laughs> Wiki Wild, Wiki Wild. It brought us the giant mechanical spider. In the third act. In the third act. Yes. Right, In the but... third act. The thing is... That's one of the standard rules of screenwriting, third act to Giant Spider. Well, that's yes. the, it's from the uh, evening with Kevin Smith where he's talking about what, uh, I think it was John Peters wanted him to put in his John Superman Peters. script. And yeah, John Peters. It ended up being in Wild Wild West. They just recycled that idea because he liked it so much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my, my overall point is I don't like Victorian England. I don't like Sherlock Holmes. Despite that, I still think this mm-hmm. is the best episode of Next Gen we've seen so far. This is a solid really yeah. good episode and i don't even like this setting so that's a mm-hmm. good that's a good sign <laughs> so if only it was in a setting that you did like 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 science um... fiction no like <laughs> any other period that isn't this like if they like went the 1970s into it and... yes yes where Worf had to put on giant sideburns and uh, oh you know, that would be awesome they're already, already wearing that wood rock <laughs> they're already they're already wearing bell bottoms. Yeah, and so. they could go in like uh, how you know places that look like the venture compound with those like th- that furniture and egg chairs and like you know rust orange carpets and avocado mm-hmm. uh, refrigerators and man, yeah, I want to see. Moriarty that could be wearing like tiny like circular sunglasses. Yep, we could call it a now, we could call it a fistful of serpicos. Now I'm wishing that the uh, the detective, the fictional detective that Data was enamored with, was Shaft. <laughs> How awesome would or that Kojak. be? Well, no, because then it would, it, you know, you, you couldn't make him not black, which means Geordi would have to be playing Shaft, and then Data would be, Shaft worked alone, so it would, he would be nobody. No. <laughs> oh, they could be, they could be Shaft and Kojak. <laughs> I could totally yes. hear Brent Spiner doing a Who Loves Your like, Baby. That would, that would be query. totally in his wheelhouse. Query, who loves you, baby? <laughs> <laughs> Geordi, must I have this lollipop in my mouth at all times? <laughs> 
all times. Replicator, lollipop, cherry. <laughs> uh, but really, this best you know, episode. That Jordy so far. is one bad mother. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> no, I would say I would say unqualified best episode so far. Well, there's yes. a lot better coming up. Yep, but the you know for now compared to all of season one and so far of what we've done in season two, this is unquestionably the the, the mine the most minor of nitpicky nitpicks. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I'll, I'll make my nerd complaints about mm-hmm. the hat and the coat. And you should, out. that's why you're here. Sherlock Holmes never actually said elementary, dear Watson. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, that's a complaint I have. This is one of the episodes where they say the title. Yeah. yeah. I, that always bothers me. I think, th- I think if there's one thing this episode makes clear, it's that Pulaski never read a Sherlock Holmes story in her life. Yeah, but I don't think that she <laughs> oh, that's did. True. That was, you know, I, yeah. I, a lot of times people... Like are aware of the pop culture existence of a thing without actually yep. having experienced it. I mean, we all we've all done that. Oh yeah, like, totally. for example, saying... beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> right, exactly. If you're if you're if you're mm-hmm. uh, on the holodeck cosplaying as you know Kirk and and so forth, you know you have to say beam me up, Scotty, because that's what everyone thinks he said. They would have called mm-hmm. the episode "Beam Me Up Data." <laughs> a fistful of beam me up datas. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I think a fistful oh. of datas is the worst title ever. So. It's not a great episode either. No, it's not. I kind of like that one. I well, it's got maybe, maybe that'll be my gimmick. Maybe I'll come by every time they go into a arbitrary past period on the holodeck and get stuck. Listen, there. Listen, one per oh, season. No, wait, then man. I'll be on. Then I'll be on nine times a season. Yeah, that's the mm-hmm. thing. One per season. Got to leave room for everybody else. <laughs> we like you, but we you know got to give everyone else a chance. And I mean, I assume you're coming back for the Robin Hood episode. Of course. No, he already oh, he I, called dibs on I, that when we started like season one of yeah. the original series, and that makes total sense. Yeah. I am the Robin Hood guy. That's totally fine. Um, the thing is, the thing is about episodes like this and about like when they went to Nazi planet and gangster planet, like those are dumb ideas, mm-hmm. but seeing them in the costumes and kind of playing around in the settings kind of makes up for it. And I feel the same way about yeah. a fistful of data. like, it's a stupid plot that we've seen 50 mm-hmm. times. And this is like season six or seven, but yeah, but seeing Troy as sort of a badass cowboy was kind of cool. That was yeah. cool. Seeing Data as a burlesque dancer was less cool. <laughs> Seeing Data as and all the rest, like all the supporting characters of a Western, was actually kind of funny, I thought. Yes. E- evil Cowboy Data was fun. Stupid Evil Cowboy Data was fun. Yeah. Mexican Data was fun. I think... No, those, those were all good. Tying it back to this episode, I think the writers of this show, more than for any other character, found ways to work in Brent Spiner's abilities. Like, he yeah. does really interesting comedy and silly voices, and they made they found a way to do it, usually without it being contrived. Unlike the dancing doctor, let's say. Ugh. Let's come oh. up with a reason for Crusher to tap dance. Why not? Especially when it turns out to have absolutely no effect on the rest of the episode, because no, that's not the all. kind of dancing data wants. Yeah. That's, it's just a, a, a rabbit hole they go down because Gates McFadden can tap dance. That's it. And yep. but yeah, no, but... But Brent Spiner can do funny voices, and so let's have him rehearsing plays on the holodeck because, and that makes sense for him because plays written by people studying yes. the human condition, the power of myth. Yeah, <laughs> no, that that totally makes sense. That is the thing Data should be doing, and it also gives Patrick Stewart the opportunity to uh, to Shakespeare it up a little. And oh yeah, as as you mentioned, um, Patrick Stewart, uh, you know, puts on the outfit because of course he does. But oh, he yeah. already owned that aisle. Yeah, he had it. He had it. You know, he that's just... actually what he showed up to the set wearing that day. <laughs> he had just left his uh, Christmas Carol gig. <laughs> All right, what am I doing now? What's what are we doing? You don't say. Um, we did. I, I actually surprised we skipped this. You know, we talk a lot while we're watching the episodes, and uh, yeah, we did. we missed the one sort of. Uh, I mean, period correct, but a little racist line where oh, um, yes, uh, Moriarty's talking to some floozy. And he's like, did, did mm-hmm. you see Holmes walking by with that dark fellow? Like, whoa. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> what? And he's like, well, he is from the 1800s. That's, that, yeah. that's what he'd say. That's yeah, pretty, that's I mean, actually pretty, like, that's pretty tame for uh, the 1800s. It's yeah, pretty tame for, for Star for, Trek. For considering what he could have yeah. said. Yeah. No, I, but it, it did sort of jump out at me, like, whoa. Gene's ideal future. <laughs> Okay. Thank God he wasn't walking past with that Irish fellow, or else you know, <laughs> no, yeah, O'Brien already would have come out. The with. entire, the entire town would have turned on him. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien goes to that uh, to that set, and just all the doors close. Everyone turns their back. No Irish. <laughs> oh, and we have to talk about how uh, Moriarty. Oh, I'm not even sure I have a name yet. What's? Oh, no, he doesn't. He's just the transporter chief. Uh, we got to talk uh, about Mister Computer. 
Ah, uh, yes. Oh, Mr. yeah, Mr. Computer. Computer. As as Moriarty's trying to work out how everything works, and he's, you know, they they really keep him in sort of period mentality. Like, he's mm-hmm. figuring all this out with the brain of a guy from the mid-1800s, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. Yes. And at one point, because he's having long conversations with the computer, he says, yes, Mr. Computer told me all about that. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Computer, please give me the arch. Yep. <laughs> I like but that the computer talked to him with a woman's voice. Yes, with Major so... Barrett's voice. But apart from that. It should be Madam Computer. <laughs> right. Lady Computer. Yes. Duchess Computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Her Countess Majesty computer. the Computer of the Enterprise. <laughs> Computeria Regina. <laughs> that sounds filthy, but I know it's not. <laughs> Good heavens, Mr. Moriarty. Well, I never end program. We are not amused. And then, of course, there's the moment where uh, Picard enters the holiday. Because we have no emotions. (laughs) And picks up tuppence. (laughs) That was so weird. And then he gets mugged because the guy found him pick up tuppence. Yeah. I just, it felt like, like, wait a minute, did our Nick and Willikin script get mixed up? Like, did they mix up the pages somehow? Because that's too English. Hang on a minute, Governor. That was my tuppence what you left lying in the street there. <laughs> but yeah. And like what... uh, see now the thing is, I left that tuppence lying on the ground. It's bait, you I see. Thought, You're the fish. I thought to myself, I'll come back for that later, but I'll leave it there <laughs> so I'll know where it is. Right. I decided to mug anybody who picks it up because obviously somebody who'll stop to pick up tuppence obviously has a lot of money for me to steal. <laughs> so Exactly. With my, ex- with my extremely modern-looking knife. <laughs> That's not a knife. Wait, this is. Oh, and hell, then, like, my Data, accent's Data, changing. Like, then Data grabs his thumb and he screams and drops the knife, but Data didn't even, like, do it, like, with data speed or anything. No, he just did it He normal. just sort of, like, reached over. Like, the guy, like, easily could have stabbed him in the, or pulled his hand back. Right. Yep. And, and I, it had no, nothing to no do with anything. Oh, it's the uh, It's the Vulcan thumb pinch, obviously. Yes. I guess the point was to show that now that Moriarty's taken over the holodeck, more society has broken down, maybe? Well, you could see the, the holodeck grid on the wall, so obviously. That was awesome. But I mean, like, it was. That was nice on the stuff. other hand, it's Victorian England. That was going to happen. Yeah. No, there, there should yeah. have been a lot more corpses, but other than that, yes. Yes. There was only one. Yeah, I know. There should have been Oh, like... yeah, that was something I liked, is that I feel like a lot of writers, when they did this episode, they would have just had Data solve the crime of Pulaski getting kidnapped, but mm-hmm. they actually run across the crime that they programmed the computer to make, and Data solves it in like two seconds, yeah. and then they leave. <laughs> and then goes on to the real big mystery. And so mm-hmm. he does actually prove that he can solve a home-style mystery with it, and I'm like, that was awesome. They should have brought that up to the yeah. doctor when they saw her. Like, yeah, by no the way, kidding. before we came here, uh, I actually found that mystery and solved it. So, uh, yeah, in your so case. screw you. You didn't see it, but the holodeck records everything. So look at this. You owe us whatever the hell the bet was. A gentleman. Does it? <laughs> you would have won the gentleman. <laughs> Does the All holodeck right. record everything? Because Barkley would I be assume so. in trouble. <laughs> well, I mean... He... Barkley would be in trouble. Jesus. The thing is, he I'm sure he has those tapes or whatever they store them on in his quarters because you can't always get holodeck time. And what's his fallback mm-hmm. plan? Well, yes. Harps? Right. Yeah, harps. Harp porn? <laughs> <laughs> Riker's not going to loan him that. Riker's not going to give up his harp porn. You can, it's hard to find that stuff. Yeah, he got that from Rigel. Um, eighteen. Six, eighteen. Eighteen. Six. Eight, Which Rigel haven't we been to? I don't know. To yet. One. Rigel four hundred and twenty-one. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very crowded planetary system. All right, they're actually there's, there's just there's all in few... a line. Yep, like in one <laughs> orbit, and they just all go right around each other. <laughs> there's very few. Uh, there's very few galaxies you can go to where the planets are actually on top of each other. <laughs> all right, guys, I know we're stalling because we don't want to do the other one, but we're gonna have. <laughs> do we have any final points before we push on to the outrageous Okana? Um, well, I thought the acting of the extras was very no, no, and no real points. We'll definitely Don't... fill time eh, in an everybody likes manner. old boats. <laughs> yeah, that um... it's another case of Starfleet people liking old <laughs> clipper ships. That was that was a note that I left. I wonder if there's anyone in Starfleet who doesn't like old nautical stuff. There must be one person who's not into Dr. that McCoy. stuff. But we haven't met them yet. All right. Anything else? We we, uh, we got to tear this bandaid off, guys. We got to. We've got to do this. Ugh. All right, Al, All right. get me your bucket. 
Uh, well, hang on. You got to tell us your quote first. I keep forgetting to do this like while oh, we're still yes. on the first. Oh, uh, that's right. Well, my quote is um, from a scene right after Jordy leaves the holodeck in a huff, and um, he's talking to Data on Ten Forward and explaining about you know the fun of solving the mystery, and it's well written and it fits their characters well. And but like I said, it's if you're the kind of person who likes to read in subtext. It's really, really easy to do so. So here you go. <laughs> Data, what was the point in going to the holodeck? To solve a Sherlock Holmes mystery. Exactly, but you've got them all memorized. The first time anyone opens their mouth, you've got it solved. So there's really no mystery. If there's no mystery, there's no game. No game, no fun. <sighs> oh, I'm not upset with you, Data, really. It's just that... We go through all the trouble to arrange the time to go down to the holodeck to get the proper wardrobe, to get into character, and then boom! Before we even get started, you jump to the end. You see, I was looking forward to the mystery. So you maintain that as a lover's quarrel? I don't. I don't. I, I don't maintain that. I mean, like it's an easy joke to make. Well, no, that's, comedically, that's not the kind you of joke I, like to make, I don't mean but really. I'm just saying, is like, it's really easy to see that in there. And it's <laughs> like, oh, data, you just don't understand. <laughs> If you don't know why I'm mad, I'm not going and, to tell and you. And he literally says, like, we got dressed up all nice and went out. We were going to have <laughs> such a nice time. And then you ruined it. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Well, Matt. Ugh, all right. He flipped a coin or something, and <laughs> you have to do this one, so. <sighs> Go ahead. All right. This is the outrageous O'Connor. Mm. So we just watched this episode, but I'm having some trouble remembering how it started because I began watching it a million years ago. <laughs> the Enterprise stumbles across the lovable, mischievous, roguish, outrageous Okana. Presumably be name named so because of his outrageous poofy shirts, his outrageous giant ponytail, and his outrageous annoyingness. Okana's ship has broken down, and, they, and as the Enterprise has nothing better to do, they offer to give him a tune-up. Meanwhile, Data is intrigued by O'Connor and how much everyone likes him because he's so great. So he, Data, tries to learn how to be funny. He does this by going to the funniest people in history, Joe Piscopo and Whoopi Goldberg. Because if there's anything more funny than a giant white guy with a mullet, it's a sassy nun or possibly the owner of the New York Knicks. I'm a little behind on my Whoopi Goldberg movies. And I'm not honestly sure who Joe Piscopo is. Is he still alive? Anyway, Joe and Whoopi teach Data about comedy, or hack comedy, anyway, and just when it, that's getting interesting, two tiny ships arrive and threaten the universe, or yeah, and threaten the Enterprise with t lasers, if you can believe that. <laughs> lasers. Turns out O'Connor is also an outrageous thief, having stolen one planet's precious MacGuffin diamond and the other planet's cute daughter's virginity. And then roughly 30 years pass while the cast tries to catch up with those of us who have already figured out that once the, that one planet banged the other planet's daughter and stole the MacGuffin to give to her. You know, that old chestnut. Anyway, everything works out fine. The two planets let Okana go and we bid him goodbye. Goodbye, outrageous Okana. I hate you worse than testicular cancer. Uh, just to be clear, you're not a fan of testicular cancer, right? Because no. sometimes you like things I don't and you know sometimes we're at odds. <laughs> I just want to be clear on this. Also, did you say that the planet banged the daughter? That's right. Okay. Yeah, that is what it sounded One like. One planet banged another planet's daughter. I'm fine with that. I just want to make sure, for, you know, for the sake of the audience, that we made that clear. Yep. Okay. Well, it was such a Shakespearean story, and you know how, like, the king is always referred to by the name of his country in a Shakespeare play? Uh-huh. Is that what happens? So that's, that's, why these, that's why these men, with their dignified and Shakespearean manners, are referred to as the name of their planet. Well, if there's one thing yeah. that this episode made me think of, it was Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now I find that boring, too. <laughs> no, I like Shakespeare. That's fine. But I don't like testicular cancer, so we're on the same page there. I guess. So, let's just charge right into your good thing and bad thing. Okay, so my good thing is, uh, Data and Guinan have some really great scenes together. Uh, I really, like, I really enjoyed her in this, as opposed to Pulaski, who I still only tolerate. Uh, and the scene with Data at the end accepting that he doesn't understand humor is actually, you know, kind of sad and touching. Yeah, when we went into season two, you said you don't like Pulaski, you don't like Guinan. It seems like you're at least coming around on Guinan. Yeah. I think, and I've said this before and I'll say it many, many, many more times, she does what Troy should be doing. Troy, mm -hmm. this should have been Troy's plot. Trying to help Data with his human thing. Yeah, well, if Troy were any good at her job, that wouldn't have needed to, hide, uh, to hire Whoopi Goldberg. This is true. Mm -hmm. Um... But that's I, – I blame the writers because I really do think Marina Sirtis is capable of rising to certain occasions. I just think she hasn't had the opportunity to. Oh, totally. Um, oh, yeah. But that said, you know, Whoopi – she, she, she gets good stuff. She does. Mm -hmm. and she Eventually. Yeah, but for a while she doesn't, and it's not really her fault. 
because mm-hmm. we know she's got it in her and she, they just don't write anything for her. But no, Whoopi like does some really good stuff here. There's a lot of good deadpan, like Data tries a joke and she just stares at him. Yep. And there's there's definitely some good stuff there. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, she's she's yeah. Uh, and your your bad thing. Yeah, which one did nobody, you pick? Yet yeah, nobody on the entire entire on the entire enterprise has any idea what's actually funny. Yeah, like like Okana tries telling him a joke. Guinan tries telling him a joke. No one fucking gets it. I don't know if I could explain humor to Data, but I definitely would not start by telling him jokes. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The, I don't understand what's funny. Well, here's a joke. Why aren't you laughing? That was funny. <laughs> Ha ha ha! Yeah, and and you know we we fancy ourselves comedy writers, and yeah, theoretically we know what humor is. Yeah, we have a basic idea of it, and no, none of the things that people were telling him are funny at all. No, I Reese just case shaped like a fish. I okay, okay, yeah, that was pretty that funny. was actually pretty funny. Um, I think the problem was I think Piscopo. I don't, I don't hate Joe Piscopo. First of all, I think he was a mid level SNL cast member who never made it beyond that. But I think. He played exactly what was here, which is sort of a hack playing a room of drunk people in uh, Atlantic City, like a comic who just tells dumb jokes and is there to make noise more than to tell jokes. I think Data mm-hmm. chose poorly. I don't know. I, well, I mean, I, he basically selects them by random. Yeah. He, a bunch of names comes up and he just says that one. I, I say still how, got how... the impression that, like... The jokes he tells at the beginning were supposed to be funny, like that, uh, hey, I'd, uh, you guys are a great audience. I'd take you home with me, but I got the last audience there, so there's no room. But I'm like, bum. But then they but show bum, that the audience that. will laugh at anything Data says, and they make a specific story point of showing Gaiden doesn't think he's funny. Audience. He's not funny. Like, But there wasn't an audience there at the time. Well, okay, that's a good point. You're, you're right. The audience wasn't there. But <laughs> They um, hadn't programmed in an audience. That's fair. But I don't know. I I feel like that that last scene with him made it pretty clear that he's actually not that funny. I guess I don't know. I still feel like they were trying to be funny and failing. Like they that may be so often on this show. But I just I don't I don't think like I'm I'm not a huge Piscopo advocate or anything. I just clearly I don't is anyone. I, well, I don't know. I think he was okay on SNL. Like he played against Eddie Murphy when Eddie Murphy was on SNL a lot, and I think they were pretty mm-hmm. good together. But. I, just, I don't think it's his fault. I think he played exactly what was there. I just don't think what was there was any good. Mm. I think it's the script's problem more than his problem. I also think there were about 50 other guys they could have chosen that would have been better. See, well, my, you know, my, my... what kind of good stand-up comedians were around in the late 80s? It's not like no, there, there were was, any it was a dead talented scene young up-and-comers at the time <laughs> that would have been happy for a role on TV. No, especially on Star Trek, which by that point there would have been guys growing up on Star Trek who would have been huge fans of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. No, not at all. It's not like Jerry Seinfeld was a young, talented, uh, and successful uh, comedian who was famous for uh, being into very nerdy things. No, not at all. I'm just saying Seinfeld could have been in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Seinfeld's Jerry Lewis impression might have been worse than Joe Piscopo's. What was with that? Oh, my God. I don't like Jerry Lewis. Like, if you asked me to name my least favorite classic comedian, I would say Milton Berle. But uh, Mm -hmm. Jerry Lewis would make, like, the top... Five, um, sure. But he he actually did things. The Jerry Lewis impression that Data and Piscopo do is just literally just making noises. It's like that guy speaking Klingon in the sixth movie. <laughs> that's a callback, folks. Uh, that's, that's funny. That's a funny joke I told. Well, now I understand what humor is. Thanks for that. Yes. No, I can't, I can't help thinking, like, what would happen if he pulled up, like, say, Andrew Dice Clay, <laughs> just goes on the bridge and starts telling really racist jokes. <laughs> no, not racist, just incredibly sexist. No, he wasn't particularly joke. racist. Yeah, no. Let's or be Jeff fair. Dunham, he's racist. Yeah, I, there you go. And he has puppets. Well, all right. I, no, I just, it no, was... He's not racist, his puppets are. <laughs> well, hey, puppets can do anything. That's true. They can review Star Trek. They should review Star Trek. Um, I, I feel like we're focusing on that subplot because we don't want to talk about... No, I mean, as stupid annoying as that was, the main plot was... Ugh. Everything so about that... Well, hang on. Let, let's go to your good thing, bad thing first, Brian. Oh, right. Okay. Um, well, my good thing was Okana because he's the best character ever, and he's so likable, and he's roguish and charming. And ugh. I know this because 
the episode told me over and over mm -hmm. again. And Riker and uh, Jordy and Worf all went down to meet him in the transporter room wearing their dress uniforms and rolling out the red carpet. And Data wasn't wearing his dress uniform because he had his I Love Okana t-shirt on. <laughs> Actually, uh, and Picard I... didn't go down because he was just too embarrassed. Because how could he ever hope oh, to, I don't know what to, say to this great, like great that. character? Uh, Irish Gav pointed out to me that um, Irish Gav pointed out that uh, so you send four people down to meet him in the transporter room, which they literally do. Uh, yeah. But when people are thawed out from the 20th century, you can't bother to send one single person, one single human person, <laughs> yep. to meet them. That's a good point. Uh, uh, and your bad. And thing? my uh, my bad thing was that this good thing bad thing bit uh, forces me to make up a good thing about it. <laughs> I, I just uh, I. Uh, that's fair. Um, my good thing is, despite the presence of Earth comedian Joe Piscopo, there are some genuinely funny moments here, particularly between Data and Guinan, as we've said. Uh, my bad thing, this episode is a masterclass of show don't tell, in that it's an example yes. of how not to do that. We're told by every character, even in the goddamn title, that Okana is this charming rogue, but we see almost no actual evidence of this. Everyone just talks about how cool he is. It's like fanfic. It's like... As Matt said, he might as well be called the outrageous Mary Sue. Mm -hmm. Because the whole time everyone, like, whenever he's not on screen, all the other characters are asking, where's Okana? <laughs> they are. Awful. Riker, Riker, after meeting him for, like, 30 seconds, is telling Wesley, like, well, he's a rebel who plays by his own rules. He's a loner. I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> I, I, I wrote that in the episode. Just, who is he? Well, he's a rebel, a lone wolf. Yeah, it, and... It's like everyone else is doing Data's shtick of reading off lists, only they're all yep. doing it. Well, he's sort of a charming. <laughs> oh yeah, they brought that quote. back in this episode. Ugh, that mm -hmm. bit that I thought we were finally done. We've got an episode where with. they show you what comedy is. Uh, yeah. The best way to do that is to uh, have Data go back to his good reading lists of things joke. And someone cutting off his list after five items because, you know, that's yep. enough, Data. Also, I just wanted to punch Okana a lot. There's something about him that is quintessentially late 80s, early 90s TV fake pirate with a well, shirt. Well, here, let's, let's just do a quick um, uh, inventory of Okana. Okay. He's got uh, the floppy hair in the front and the ponytail mm. in the back. Uh -huh. And the ponytail uh, looks like a shaving brush. Yep. And the ponytail looks like a shaving brush because it's braided and then it's got the poofy thing at the end. It's, he's yep. got his big pirate vest. Yep. Yep. And then he's got another vest on under that. Yep, sure. Double vested. And then he's got says his... it says pirate like vest. <laughs> and, then... and then he's got a poofy shirt that's held on by one of those little plastic safety snaps. But it's held yep. it's held on like by the bottom of his rib cage. Like there's substantial yeah. chest exposure. Um, and he wears really tight pants with one giant boot and one regular size boot. <laughs> yep. Yep. With extra straps all over. Uh, mm -hmm. And he carries a gun, and then he also has a uh, a knife that he says is is more like a piece of jewelry than a uh, weapon. To me, it looks uh, like a silver a thing for stabbing. But you know, yep. What do I know? <laughs> and then Worf and the looks at it like, uh, uh, see yeah, no, is, that's uh, a knife. And the first shot we see of him is a lingering shot of his ass. Yep, he's oh, bending yeah, over he in front of the shows camera up, because he's outrageous. He's so outrageous, you guys. Uh, you, you, left, you left Picard, an important key element out, which is his uh, beard, which... Um, oh, his... Now, I, I have a full beard, and I keep it fairly closely trimmed. I keep it about Riker length, actually, because mm -hmm. I think that's that's a decent look for someone like me. Because um, that is he, how beards should be. You Well, not necessarily. People, Some people have bigger beards, and it works on them. For me... You know, the, the closely trimmed beard. But I have the clippers set at, like, six or seven. He's clearly got his clippers set at, like, two, which is, yep. like, one level above stubble. It's, like, a permanent... No, he's got a, of a very carefully cultivated stubble. Like, I like it's just obvious started growing a beard. every day yeah. to make it look like he didn't shave at all. Yep, yep. And, it, ah, I want to hit him so much. And he's... We should... Cause I, he, ah. Yep. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm... I, me so much. I thought he's I would be alone played by Billy Campbell. Um, William Campbell it, played the Rocketeer. There's some surprising actors in this episode. He's played by Billy Campbell, who, um, uh, yeah, he's the Rocketeer, which means he's his whole career has been characters that he looks like he should be a charming rogue, but he can't act like it. No, and, and that's why the Rocketeer, the Rocketeer they, he was. They sort of yeah. played up the lovable goof in that, like he was he was kind yeah. of good-hearted but kind of a dork and he kind of stumbled into this thing. I feel like he thing. was written to be more like casual action hero-y type guy but when they cast him they like change that and they're like mm, let's let's make him more goofy. Cause... Which is fun because they didn't over goof him. It was it was good in that movie. No. 
and but he's just he's just forgettable. Right. He's he's a real nothing of an actor. Yep. And that's why everybody else from the Rocketeer went on to great new careers or had a good career resurgence. Mm-hmm. And Except he him. just sort of petered out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, he just. Uh... Okay, but yeah, as far as the casting goes, uh, we had uh, the first woman he hits on is the the transport. I guess O'Brien had the day off. And he's yeah. got Ensign Terry Hatcher down there. He was completely yes. overcome by the outrageousness of, of O'Connor. He had to take the day off. <laughs> or maybe he was getting uh-huh. this, like, elaborate, like, uh, pub set up on the holodeck because he thought O'Connor was Irish. And he's like, good, we can go go drinking together. Oh, he's not. Oh. Was that the outrageous O'Connor? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, But he starts hitting on Ensign Terry Hatcher. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, and then yeah. they immediately go have sex. Yep, yep. And nobody like, seems to no, have a problem with that. She's because, on duty. You know. she, we just saw her standing yeah. at the. Doesn't she still have to be there? No. Nope. Like, I mean, from the way the episode is set up, as soon as they leave the transporter room, she must have left through another door, <laughs> ran upstairs, changed into put the on worst her potato dress sack ever. dress. Yeah. Yes. Which I I liked it because she's hot and it revealed some of her body. But yeah, it was a horrible, horrible dress. I thought she was hotter in the uniform. Well, I mean, there is a certain hotness about a Starfleet uniform, but at the same time, yep. yes, she was wearing the same outfit as Jordy, so you know. And you don't find Jordy's not hot. Uh, is that what you're telling me? Al? Not my type. Let's just say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. This this guy was... just his whole deal, and they spent most of the time telling us, and you hardly ever saw at all. And why was? And he had, like, this one thing. It was sort of like a cross between, like, a boombox and, like, a touchlight. Well, it was a part of his ship that they needed repair. Yeah, I mean, like that's a part just... of his ship that needed repairing. And then, like, okay, here's some random ethically fishy guy that we've decided to help because we're nice people. Why is Jordy the one fixing his ship part? Yeah, there should be some engineering underling handling that. He's got yeah. important things. I know we make jokes Lieutenant about, like, why Jimmy does the senior staff have to do everything? Because it's a TV show, but... yeah. But seriously, why is the chief engineer fixing this guy's dome light? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, I, I specifically didn't go read the Agony Booth's review of this episode in case I stole any of their jokes, but they um I think I think I accidentally did that one. They kept calling it the dome light. <laughs> I'm actually not aware that. of that website. If there's a if there I'm sure there are lots of sites out there doing like humorous reviews and I, I Oh, it's just a general bad movie review website. Oh, okay. But um they did they did a few worst of Star Trek. I once and this was tend to stay away from those exactly for the same reason. There was a uh, yeah. the Transformers wiki actually has some pretty great like snarky <laughs> lines, and I would have to stay away from that doing my reviews because I didn't want to. I didn't want to copy their jokes. And yeah, sometimes the, I did um, it the, accidentally. But the one joke from there that I do remember, which I avoided making, was that it's the um, they're in the Medina system at the beginning, and through the review they consistently called it the Funky Cold Medina system. I'm pretty sure <laughs> Matt made that joke too. So. Yep. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. yeah. There it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do really quite enjoy, and Matt touched on this in his summary, the contempt that everyone has for lasers. Like, <laughs> yes. oh, these ships are, and and there's a there's a nice little exchange between Picard and Riker where he's like, well, technically, sir, they're threatening us, and regulations say we're supposed to go to Yellow Alert. Oh, well, I suppose we'd better go to Yellow Alert then, <laughs> in case they shoot I, I us like... with their lasers. But I mean, they're all playing the humor of it, and it's it's a legitimately funny moment. Where I mean, yeah. I've said this all along that Picard and Riker have a great chemistry, and Picard is sort of deadpan, and I get the feeling not everyone can tell when he's kidding, but Riker totally gets it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he always gives that little Riker smile. Yeah, and they get a great sort of good cop bad cop thing going, where Riker just immediately plays along with whatever Picard's doing, and I don't know, I just I like that dynamic of them. And yeah, and then Riker goes and gives Wesley a back rub. <laughs> Yeah, when they're looking up on the screen, this episode. yeah, when they're looking up on the screen, Riker like walks forward to talk, and yeah, he totally just like, hey, Anson, <laughs> is he is he about to hug Wesley from behind, or... hey, buddy? Because he had like he had his hands on the back of the chair, and we're like, this is, you, there's something about to happen here. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, Wesley only had eyes for Okana, though. There were a couple of really <laughs> painful scenes. Where we want to see that Wesley's life could go in this direction, but no, he chooses to go another way, and it's just yeah. really Wesley's life could go in the direction O'Connor's life went. No, but that's what that's an oh, being for an him. annoying guy with a spaceship. Yeah, I buy it. That's what they want us to think. <laughs> Except he would deliver the line, "Is that a woman's voice I hear?" Totally differently. 
Is that a woman's voice? <laughs> is that that was such a weird line too? Is that okay? Picard calls to the transporter chief and says, you know, get ready to beam somebody over, mm -hmm. and then transporter chief is like, okay. Yep. Um, or yes, Captain, or whatever the hell. Yeah. And O'Connor's like, is that a woman's voice I hear? And it's like, there's two women on the bridge that you're looking <laughs> at right now. Why are you so surprised? Yeah. And then when he is hitting on her, he says that, like, her, she has, like, a face that can surely be traced back to the most noble lineage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's that a big not how you hit on He's a someone. big eugenics, like, <laughs> eugenics enthusiast, I guess. He's from the heraldry planet. I guess. <laughs> and then, okay, let's let's talk about the way everything wraps up. It's all a crazy misunderstanding because the one okay. guy knocked up the chick and they're... Oh, God. Yeah, we didn't... Oh, and it's like, you can tell that as soon as you see the pregnant woman. You're like, ah, yes. Yep. The and young the young guy, guy the and the other, got her in the other shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Justin Timberlake. Yeah. <laughs> Justin Timberlake, what would you call the other? As his haircut. Oh, is it, is it? No, I said it was um the one planet, it was... um. Barry Bostwick and his son Justin Timberlake, mm -hmm. and the other planet was um, William Hurt and his daughter Justin Bieber. <laughs> Pregnant, Pregnant Justin Bieber. Pregnant Justin Bieber. Right. Uh, but yeah, then then as as Matt correctly pointed out, the resolution of that, the whole there needs to be a shotgun wedding and blah blah blah, and we're you know we dis like, we disapprove. No, now my grandson's going to be raised on my yeah, planet. That goes on forever. Yeah, that's that's like a big chunk of the episode that i had completely forgotten about yeah no if i could just i'm going over my notes now the amount of times i i start yelling everybody shut up yeah i noticed that a lot. i was well, actually watching you do it in real time and kind of laughing like oh he's mm -hmm. he's got to sit through this now too you could have used the mute function <laughs> if only that was a that was a primary feature of this episode was that the main view screen uh, communicator on the bridge has a mute function they used it mm. i don't know 30 times the best was when they muted it, and then the two guys kept yelling. Yeah, and, and they obviously said were directed on the bridge. They were obviously and then Picard turns to, around uh, and... to, to to sort of flail and like open their mouths wider and just make it very abundantly clear that they're yelling. Mm -hmm. Just awful. But you know, we never have to watch it again, so there's that. That is a plus. And then Hooray. there's that. Then there's that very last scene where Data inadvertently says something a little funny, and then can't let it go and says horrible horrible things and that's how they take end it. my worth please take my i worth. mean the jokes are bad but i kind of buy that from data no but it's yeah it's the whole costanza thing you know go out on a high uh -huh. note like yeah so I'm <laughs> it just stands up good night folks yeah. <laughs> that's all for me oh god uh, <laughs> federation up. audiences are the best audiences in the galaxy <laughs> remember to tip your guinan <laughs> she works hard for you all right. Any, any and further? she knows comedy. She was in Jumpin' Jack Flash. <laughs> and Sister Act 2. And Eddie. And, um... And Theodore Rex. Oh, God. Theodore Rex. What happened to you, Whoopi? You're actually pretty talented. She was, she was a good stand... No, like so many good stand-ups, she had no ability to choose movie scripts. I suppose that's true. And then she had a that's talk why... show, and that wasn't very good either. Didn't she really? Yes. Well, she's Not on The View now. Ah, and she was the center square on. She was the center square on Hollywood Square for a while. That's actually I do not remember a bad that. Place. Yeah. Oh, and she was in. Um, she was in the color purple, and then the year after that, she won an Oscar for that. Or no, like five years later, she won an Oscar for that for being in <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> no, she. Um, and they were like, uh, like a couple hey, of you times. Did Ghost. Did... Here's your Oscar for being in the color purple. Right. <laughs> Ghost was a shitty movie. <laughs> yeah, and I had to get like I one of my first dates. I went on that movie. Oh, uh, not. Not good, uh, oh, but not as bad as the outrageous O'Connor. No, that's true. No, nothing is. This oh, that's is, not true at probably all. Probably my least favorite episode of the Next Generation. Really, of the entire really? hundred and seventy-eight or whatever episode run, this is the worst one. Listen, like I said last night, perhaps in penance for my constant watching of Deep Space Nine to annoy you guys, I watched three season seven episodes, oh, and so none of them annoyed me as much. I watched uh, the Enterprise Has a Baby. Dr. Crusher fucks a ghost, oh. and um, something to a do with magic, magic or spell dreams. gets cast over the Enterprise and turns right. Data into an ancient god. Ah, uh, yes. It's all magic and dreams and mind <laughs> stuff. That was, like, mm -hmm. almost literally magic. Like, they even, like, yep. at one point, like, there's just, like, it's not even like they did a holodeck thing where the holodeck recreated the ancient temple. Nope. They just, like, the ship turned into it. Yep. Yep. 
because that makes total sense. And then Data was the devil of the species and invited Picard to go rollicking with him. I remember. <laughs> well, who doesn't enjoy a good rollick? No. I think Rascals is way worse than this, but we'll get there later. Even with Rascals, I, I don't... Well, I everyone think, else I likes Rascals my... anyway, so... I don't dislike Rascals. I do think it's kind of weird that Picard is, like, the only main character they decided to do that to, because you're like, you know, if you're making everybody into kids, wouldn't you do it to, like, Jordy and Crusher and stuff, and not yeah, Guinan and Ensign was... and O'Brien's horrible wife? <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't like when the crew turns into stuff. I find that way worse and than... And she doesn't understand why he would find it off-putting that his wife is suddenly eight years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, she's horrible. She's like, Miles, why are you being so weird about this? Because uh, it's so weird. Yeah. Why can't we have sex? Uh. Uh, they don't say it outright, I think, because they didn't want to make the child actor say it, but they were obviously thinking about it. Yep. Oh, Christ. Uh. I call anti-dibs on that. I don't want to have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, so do I. I think no, I'm going to be dead to. that week. <laughs> Matt, you've set a dangerous precedent. Damn it! No, I. Um... That's the last time I die. Good. We got a lot of work to do here. <laughs> no, um, this is bad. But whenever the Enterprise encounters some terrible culture or some terrible, you know, two factions fighting, this is going to happen a lot. And it's just like, suck it up, here it comes. Like, okay, here's another stupid thing. There's like mm-hmm. so many rebels with mullets on filthy planets, like, fighting each other for some stupid reason. Like, that'll be a thing that comes up a lot. It's just, those are my least favorite kinds of episodes after the crew turns into stuff. It just, Uh it happens a lot. Yeah. And they're always primitive. They're always, like, two or three technological runs Encountering ancient civilizations is, I think, the next generation equivalent of, like, the godlike beings. Yeah, that I don't mind so much. Because, well, no, no, but they're always, like, there's some ancient civilization that's doing some thing... Mm-hmm. Or they they encounter some you know somebody who's on the run from some other culture well, and there's it's that, a misunderstanding yeah. and yeah it's all a crazy misunderstanding I think Matt put this in his notes that you know Mister Furley should be walking in at any moment and yeah. that's what it felt like people should be going in and out of doors Sacre bleu. <laughs> not drop it again <laughs> all right I I think right. I think we're we've had about enough of all this. I agree. Uh, Matt, you yeah, that's quote enough for us. watching Jordy and Data solve mysteries. <laughs> I do got a quote. I got, uh, uh, what is it? I, I got uh, Joe Piscopo tell, showing Data exactly what humor is. Oh, boy. And Data's rather awesome reaction to it. That is considered to be funny? Actually, you brought the house down, Tina. Ah, a word that ends in K. So, if you put funny teeth in your mouth... And jump around like an idiot, that is considered fun. Yeah, that almost justifies the horrible bit just for Data to say what he says. Yes. Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. Right. I also, uh, Guinan and Data have a great sort of back and forth at one point. No, they do, and the timing of it is great. It's very rapid yeah. fire, and, you know, that yeah. was not funny? Well, no, you didn't laugh. No. <laughs> just, like, very good. Yeah, yes. they, they, they are two funny people. Yep, they are. Um, all right, <laughs> so that wraps that up. Brian, thanks as always. Uh, my pleasure. Have you called anything have, for season three pleasure. yet, or? Uh, have I? I don't think so. I'm, I don't think I've officially called until season four. Well, that's obviously uh, you. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'll All right. Well, we'll, we'll come up three. with something. I'm sure. But in the meantime, Huzzah! I'm just I'm looking at the schedule because I usually like to try to tease what happens next week. And next week is oh, loud as a whisper, which is what I thought where silence has lease was. <laughs> so did I. But uh, it's the one with the deaf guy. And then the schizoid man, which I don't remember the main plot, but I know Data grows a beard. So Oh, <laughs> wait. Hmm? No. Oh, no, no, no. I was thinking of the most toys. Ah, no, that's like season four or something. Yeah. I know. With I that, know it's with a that episode. fucking guy. Yeah. <laughs> Saul Rubinek. <laughs> that was supposed to be the lead time bandit, and he killed himself, and they had to recast it. Whoops. Wow. Okay. The, the dwarf who wait, played the leader, so you... Randall, in Time Bandits. And so you go with Saul Rubinek instead? Yeah, I don't know. They went in a completely different Wouldn't direction. You go with another dwarf? I there were there were five more of them in that movie. I don't know. And, and one um, of them winds up being on uh, Deep Space Nine playing Rumpelstiltskin. Well, that's probably Warwick Davis because you know that guy. Uh, always Michael needs Anderson, work. the Twin Peaks ah. one. Oh right, yeah. The, the, nice. He wasn't in Time Bandits. That would have been a little. I weird. thought he was. Nope. Huh. They were all British. That guy's American. Good point. Shows what well, I know possibly Canadian, mm-hmm. but he's not English. All right, so that is all. all right. 
Uh, hey, you remember... know what the best thing about this is? You know where I'm going after I hang up with you guys? Um, going to a murder mystery party. So I'm basically dressing up like Sherlock Holmes on the holiday. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Well, be sure to bring your model ship with you. I absolutely will. As, as all good detectives must have. Yes, of course. All right, that is all. Uh, remember, our episode guide is nearly available. You can pre-order it now, and you should do that. It's got uh, my it name on has... the cover. Yeah, you actually contributed some stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You and your brother and Bob and Gav all wrote a handful of reviews for us, which was delightful. And uh, check that out. So, Matt, let us get out of here with you saying that thing you say. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.